Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. So we are going to continue on in our series, Love Ember. Who's been enjoying Love Ember so far? Come on. I'll tell you who's been enjoying Love Ember. Couples that are just low-key getting together during Love Ember. It's, it's just a thing that's happening. Encounter Church, I don't know what it is. November every year is like it takes guys a full year to get up the courage to ask these girls out. I don't know what it is, but here it is. It's happening. I love it. Hey, uh, I just we're going to get into the Word of God because... God is always going to have something better to say to you than I am. So why don't we read from the words of Jesus? We're reading from Mark chapter 10 today. If you've got a Bible with you, why don't you turn to it with me? Mark chapter 10, verses 2 to 10. And before we begin to read this passage, I just want to remind you, as we talk about relationships, as we talk specifically today about marriage, so often this can stir up a lot of feelings for us. So I want to remind you, we're a future-focused church. We serve a future-focused God. We serve a God who is not about dredging up shame for the sake of shame, but about pointing you to new life, new creation, resurrection. This is not about shame in your past. It's about hope for your future. So with that in mind, let's read the words of Jesus. Verse 2. Some Pharisees came to test Jesus, asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He replied to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted us to write divorce papers and send her away. But Jesus told them he wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your hearts. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Hey, um... One of the most controversial things Jesus said, at least to our Western ears, is this teaching on marriage. In his day, actually, this wouldn't have been nearly as controversial as some of the many other things he said. But for us, in this day and age, I would say this is one of the most controversial things. Marriage is so deeply inbuilt into the DNA of our culture, into who we are, that we barely know how to form a conversation about it. Because it's personal, isn't it? It's emotional, it's intimate, and it's, it's tribal. Marriage is tied up with our very identities as human beings, and that's why conversations on marriage can get so heated. It's a ritual, it's a tradition we're accustomed to, and it's a ritual that unfortunately we've done so badly that it can be tough to really get down to the bones of what it's meant to be because we all have our baggage that we bring in about marriage and our understanding of what it is. We've all been shaped by someone or something, whether good or bad, and we bring that baggage to this conversation. But as followers of Jesus, it is critical that we take marriage seriously. I'd argue it's one of the most serious things we need to understand as followers of Jesus. Marriage, as the Uniting Church Marriage Service puts it, is a gift of God and a means of grace. A gift of God and a means of grace. I love that. That is, God has given marriage to his people as a gift to be received and cherished. And it's through that gift that we discover more about who God is and what he wants for us and his extraordinary grace. Because guess what? In marriage, there's a lot of giving and receiving of grace. That is at the very heart of what it means to be in an active, living, thriving marriage. We have to do that. 
So let's take a minute now. We're going to dig into this passage and then we get to the Q&As and you guys will have a chance to text in some questions to Pieta and ask the fun questions about marriage, whether that's biblical and theological or just practical and good advice. We're here for it all. Send them in. But let's get into Mark 10 first because this is very, very important, specifically because it's the words of Jesus. We love to get around what we can in Scripture, but when Jesus says something directly, we need to sit up and take notice. So this is what he says. The Pharisees, they come to test Jesus as usual, probably because Jesus consistently subverts their expectations. And he's notorious, really, for kind of letting people get away with sin. And I think that's probably what they're expecting here. They come and they're expecting him to let people get away with sin. But actually, he goes the other way. Jesus does that sometimes too, constantly subverting expectations. And he actually raises the bar on what they expected about marriage. Jesus talks about divorce in a way that goes from paperwork and blame sharing to the core of the matter, which is what's going on in people's hearts. And if you're new here today and you're wondering what the Christian journey is about or you're new on this journey, it is predominantly about this. What are you allowing God to do in your heart? How are you allowing God to shape you through his voice and his word revealed in the scriptures? This is what Jesus says. The command of divorce was given to you by Moses, not because divorce is a good idea, but because your hearts are hard. See, sin, friends, always threatens to creep into our lives. And when it does, it creates separation. Now, that's separation from God, but it's also separation from each other because we know that in many ways, sin is the opposite of love. And love is designed to help us love God first and one another next. So sin comes and separates that love. And divorce is that separation in a marital sense. Whether we like it or not, it's the result of sin in our hearts. And Jesus, as he does so often, as he does in the Sermon of the Mount, points not just to the action taken in divorce, not just to the paperwork, not just to the legalities, but into our hearts. When our hearts get hard, our marriages start to crack. Now, I just want to pause here for a minute because, again, this is not designed to shame people who have been through a divorce. I know many, many divorced people, many, many divorced believers for a whole wide range of reasons. People get divorced for all sorts of reasons. The point of this is not to bring shame on your past. If you're a divorced person, you are just as welcome in the house of God as anybody else. You are just as welcome in the family of God. But we need to ask the question, what does God want for us? This is not to say what's happened in our past. Because if you're a Christian here and if you've been divorced, I can imagine that for you, you you might feel doubly awkward. It's not just that you've got divorced, which is messy and painful, but it's that you've stepped into it with this this hope, this Christian hope that marriage is going to be something that represents Christ in the church. And you might feel embarrassed and and a bit broken about that. Christ is here to heal you. The presence of God, the power of God is here for healing and redemption. He is a God not of the dead, but of the living. He is a God of new life and resurrection. So that's my cry. That's my prayer for you today. If you're somebody who has gone through a divorce or your child a divorce in some way. But we've got to be about the posture and positions of our hearts. And we've got to be about letting Jesus move in them. So Jesus reminded the Pharisees who are meant to know better that marriage goes back before Moses. It goes, in fact, back to creation. Marriage was designed and ordained by God. It is a holy ritual that serves as an external example of an internal grace, an internal transformation. Marriage is grace in action. And so Jesus quotes Genesis. Now, this is really important because this tells us that Genesis is the holy word of God for Jesus. So just sit with that. 
And it shows us that Jesus' understanding of the nature of marriage comes from the Bible, not from his culture, not from his own personal understanding of what he would like it to be, but from the Word of God. So he quotes Genesis 1.27 about the creation of both male and female in the image of God, both bearing that divine stamp upon themselves, both made on purpose, for a purpose, both made with equal merit and human dignity. And then he quotes Genesis 2.24, which says this, This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Now, Genesis 2.24 is a critically important verse for our understanding of marriage because it explains that not only is marriage a gift from God, it's not only designed by God, but it's the creation of something new through God. So it's designed by God, it's a gift from God, and it's the creation of something new through God. When we join with our spouse, we actually leave our old family behind. Now, Jesus is fascinating the way he talks about family. I don't want to get into that today because we don't have time. But we are called to leave an old family unit and begin a new one. It's a little brutal because it's meant to be. This is an event for adults, right? Adults making adult decisions get married. You cannot get married and think like a child. I know people have been married off as children. I know other cultures do things differently. But if you are trying to have a healthy, flourishing marriage, not a wedding, not an event, a marriage, you have to behave like an adult. You have to learn how to do that. And you have to go about that in a new way because marriage is the creation, not of an old family unit into another one, but into a distinctly new family unit. It is a piece of new creation. It is a piece of the kingdom of God that is to come. This whole new creation in which we love and serve and lay down our lives for one another the way that Jesus did. Marriage is the foretaste of that. It's a picture of that. It's like a new communion table we gather around together. It's the new household of God. It's a new place where the new possibility for new creation begins through children. But I need to say as well, when you hear about the family unit described in Genesis 2.24... There aren't any children because when you leave your parents and you come together to be married, you are the new creation. You are the new family unit. So if you're somebody and, and childhood having children is an issue for you or that's something you're concerned about or praying over, you are still a family unit as you come together to be married as husband and wife. That's just the fact of the matter. That's biblical. The death of the old family unit brings about the new life of the new one. That's the narrative of creation and new creation. In the scriptures. So in this new unit, rather than bonding with parents as children do, spouses bond with each other. That's a new creation that's it's spiritual, it's sexual, it's social, it's economic, it's intellectual, it's emotional. And one of the reasons marriage is holy and set apart is because it's all encompassing with all these different bonds. It unites you with another person in a way that nothing else does. Your lives become fully intertwined. Didn't mean to make the sort of tenant logo by accident there, but there you go. Your lives become fully intertwined when you become married. It's like the double helix bond in DNA. The strands wind around and are bound together in and out. It's why it matters to share a surname. Can I tell you, you're in a new family now. You're a new creation, but you're united in that. So you should, I think, share a surname. That's part. Now, I don't personally care which surname you share. I think that's up to you. But you are part of a new creation together. You are entwined together. And when you do that, you know what it does? Not only does it break the bonds of old family to create a new one together, but it actually 
fights against the narrative of cultural individualism, radical individualism that says you are the hero of your own journey, you are the hero of your own story, so have your own life, forge your own Instagram identity, it's all about you. It isn't. It's all about God. Marriage is all about God. And as we are more entwined together, as we lay down our lives in service to one another, we begin to discover what it means to serve God. Now, Jesus finishes this passage by reinforcing an idea. By the way, I know I'm moving quickly here, but that's what we got the Q&A for. The two people are no longer two, but one. They are enfleshed together, sharing their lives in a fully integrated way. No more can they be separated from each other, but again, spiritually, sexually, socially, economically, intellectually, emotionally, and holistically, everything. They are united, and they are united by God in Christ. This is why Jesus completes his teaching by saying that what God has joined together, let no one separate. It's bigger than just a signed document. It's more than legal paperwork. It's spiritual and it's covenantal. That is, it is a divinely honoured promise. You and your spouse together under God. When you marry, you are entering into this lifelong promise, one flesh in Christ. This is why Jesus' teaching about divorce is so strong and why divorce itself is so messy because it's like trying to tear a piece of yourself away. Let me finish this section by saying this. Just because marriages fail doesn't mean that marriage is a failed idea. Just because marriages fail doesn't mean that marriage is a failed idea. The Bible begins and ends with a marriage, friends. It begins with a new family unit of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and it ends in Revelation with the marriage feast, the wedding feast of the Lamb, the marriage of Christ and the church in Revelation. Marriage is a gift given by God to help us understand the depths of the relationship between us and our God and Jesus Christ and the church. And it is to be celebrated, honoured, fought for and strengthened as it continues to give a picture, a tiny picture of the coming kingdom of God. And I'm going to invite Pieta and Jenny to come on up. Coming up, friends. Here we go. Well, over to you, P. You, you, you can uh, tell us what to do. Hello. Welcome. Well, uh, I thought I'd start with something a bit fun. Um, Cam has sent in a question. Do you still date during marriage? And how important is that? Only if he takes me out. No. <laughs> oh, let's get going, hey? It's starting. I know, Over to you, Mike. What? <laughs> no. Yeah, yes, you still date. Yes, you absolutely do. We went out on a date, like, when we were allowed to go outside the house uh, last week, I, I think, think it was. was. last week. I think it was. Um, and we went out for dinner. We had some beautiful vouchers for some friends. And we dated, didn't we? We went walking in the city. We just spent – I think dating is oh, spending time together. Oh, we dated so together. good. We did. We spent lots of dates at home because we have three children, but we date. We do date. It's our anniversary this week, so it's going to be a great date this week. That's right. I'm going to, I'm going to cook, cook a heck of a meal. It's going to be hecking good. We, um, so we do. We date. And um, we, it's just about intentionality, right? Like, I mean, it's just about consciously going, we want to keep romance alive. We want to keep beauty and cherishing each other alive really consciously. So, yeah. Yeah, we, we date on purpose a lot. We date at home and we date out when we can. Money and, takes, money and babysitters pending. It, yeah, absolutely. And it takes effort to date when you've got kids. Yes. But you have to. You have to make time for it. But so we'll get to that in a bit. 
Yes. Um, yeah, Tom and I have only been married for just over two years and we're struggling. So I'm, you, guys are, you, you guys are doing well. Three kids in, still you being intentional. You have to make time, Pieta. <laughs> make time, everybody. Str struggling to find time to date, I think <laughs> is what you're, you're trying to say there. A slightly outraged <laughs> husband <laughs> on the sound desk. Tom in the background. Just <laughs> <laughs> yes. Good. Okay, we've had a message from Taylor. Come on, Tay. Do you believe that someone can be called by God to get married but not to have children? Throwing you in the deep end here. Yep. Yep. Excellent. Like <laughs> <laughs> yes, Would you absolutely. Like to, yeah? um, yes, I do. I think um, children are a wonderful gift from God. Uh, but you know what? To be honest, if you don't have children, you actually have more time to spend on... Um, uh, out stuff outside of, of the home and other kingdom mind and stuff. It's not that raising kids isn't kingdom mind and it most definitely is and should be treated that way. Um, but there are other things as well that bring people to know Jesus, that bring God glory. And I guess when you don't have children, you have the opportunity to spend more time doing that. So if that's a calling and it's a big calling that God puts on your life, then uh, he will also bring the right person into your life that feels the same way. I think that's important. You both have to be on the same page. Yeah, I mean, I, the other thing I'd just say is um, in the household of God, obviously I just talked about the family unit and how we, we come together out of our old homes into a new one, forming that new family unit. Um, but there's, there's a bigger household of God than that in which we all gather together, and it's called the church. Mm -hmm. And in the church we are brothers and sisters, we're aunts and uncles and we're grandparents to each other. So in that sense, Taylor, no, I don't think anyone's ever called not to have children because you are always called to invest in the next generation. And I don't mean that to sound glib. I mean, actually, some of the people I know who are the most extraordinary investors in the next generation are those who don't have children or are unable to have children or have missed that window in their life for whatever reason. And they just choose to be the best aunts, uncles, grandparents they can be. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So good. Thanks, guys. Um, what are some challenges that newlyweds face in their first year of marriage? And what's the best advice that you've been given regarding this? What are some of the challenges that newlyweds face in the first years of marriage? Okay. Um, one of the answers I would just say is baggage. Like you, you will face your baggage. So one of the beauties of, of dating and one of the reasons I think dating is important is you work out a lot of the baggage that you bring in. You don't work out all of it. You really can't, you know. You've got to work out some of that in the context of marriage. And so you got to deal with that. Family of origin is a massive one because you will bring stuff in from your families. That's a big part of baggage, whether that's toxic or whether sometimes it's like really aspirational. Like I've spoken to people who have said, my, my family are such a great example. I just, I just want to be like that so badly. It's like, wow, well, overly focusing on that can really stress you out as well, bring you anxiety. I think um, one of the big things I see in the first year that newlyweds tend to do, which can be challenging and, and not great, is they tend to sometimes make um, it all about them because it's the first year of marriage and it is important to get to know the person that you're married to and all that kind of thing. But they, they take it away from being about God. Like when it comes down to it, Mike's second, God's first yeah. um, in my life. That's just how it is. And so I think we need to, as a newly married couples, we need to remember, um, not we because we're not anymore, um, 14, almost 14? Nearly, nearly married in my Ooh. heart always. Oh, yeah, it's our anniversary yeah. this Wednesday. 14 years? 14 years on Wednesday. Ooh. Look at me go. Um, uh, but that, well, that can be a challenge. That can be one of the challenges that we face, that we tend to place it all about us and what we're doing rather than going, what is God calling us to do? And let's focus on God and what God wants to do, which is will make your first year of marriage much more amazing anyway. Yeah. 
yeah, w- what Jen said. Don't don't uh, don't assume that God's calling you to take a season away from serving. I've heard that before. That's rubbish. Like our lives are in service to God. In Philippians, it talks about how Jesus emptied himself, right? Go read Philippians 2. Read the hymn in Philippians 2. Jesus made himself nothing in order to become the servant of all. And marriage is a picture of that. So there's never a time God's calling you to stop serving. You might need to pull back. You know, there's, there's heavier seasons and lighter seasons, but there's never a time when God's like, don't serve each other. Don't serve. Just just be with each other. No, 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 no. God doesn't say that. Read the Bible. So good. And I think Encounter is a testament to that. At one point, all three of our coordinators were either almost married or in their first six months of marriage at Encounter. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes. We're a pretty young church, so yeah, that's about yeah, to happen yeah. too. All, all the people we planted this church with got married off within like the first two years. So you begin to ask the question, like, why did they plant the church? But that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. We love them. Yes. Um, so on children and that you can be called to not have children. We've got a text coming in that said people can spend a period of marriage without expressly moving towards children. How do you decide to take that next step as a couple to having children? That's a great question. Look, I think unfortunately it's different for everybody. Um, so, you know, I well, we particularly wanted kids pretty young. Um, and so we had kids very early on in our marriage um, and for many people that's not helpful and it's better to get to know each other for a long for a while longer um, I don't wait until you've got enough money just don't do that it's not going to happen um, absolutely pray to God let God um, handle that and um, you know if he really wants you to have kids you'll have kids um, Virgin Mary is a great example um, <laughs> but uh, but don't wait yeah, until you've got enough money or anything like that. But definitely spending time in prayer, hearing from God together. It's really important that you're both on the same page with this. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. I mean, the, I think the two biggest answers, number one for everything, is pray. And what's God saying about this? Is he saying now's the time? Well, then even if you don't feel it, obey. And the second thing is you've got to be united. You've got to be on the same page about that. Um, and t- I guess in terms of... How you the uh, look? This touches on something else that's really important with marriage, which is how do you go from we've been happy without kids for a long time to starting going? Oh, actually, I think that's what I want. It begins with an awkward conversation, and most great things in your marriage will begin with an awkward conversation. They'll begin with someone going, <clears throat> um, "So, kids, what? Like, I just can we can we have a chat about it? Can we just start? Can we start this? You know, you've actually you've actually got to lean into that awkwardness a lot in marriage. I hope you've had that conversation as well about wanting yeah. kids before you get married. That's a big one to do before you get married. Yeah. If one doesn't want kids and one does, that could cause some problems going forward. And we talk about that in marriage counselling with all our couples too. Absolutely. Yeah, I hope that helps. Yeah. Um, so taking a step back, Taryn sent in a message. How did you know that you wanted to get married? So you know how you realised you wanted to have kids and that conversation. How did you know that each other, you personally? To, to each, each other, other or do... To know that we wanted to get married. Oh, to well, each... I mean, I wanted to get married from a little girl. Yeah. I think, but yeah. to each other, I think. Um, well, so I, well, I'll tell a little story. I, um, when I started, or when I was starting going to Journey, it was Panera at that time, long, many, many years ago. I was worshiping, and I looked down the aisle of of the church service that I was in, and there was this guy on the end of the service, and he just his hands up in worship, like fully surrendered to God. And I just said to God, I want to marry a man like that. A man fully sold out for God, who loves you, is passionate about you, and here he is 14 years later, 15 years later after that. Wearing every one of those years, yeah. Uh, and, um, but I, so I knew that I wanted to marry a godly man, but I didn't know who it was. And so we started dating, and I wouldn't say that I knew I wanted to marry you 
when we started dating. I need to get to know you and you need to get to know me and I went away and did a DTS and there were lots of different things. Um, but there was a very specific time, um, oh, probably a year in or so, that I really felt like this was the man that God wanted me to be with. And I was, um, it was actually in a moment when I was in a really dark place and I was really struggling and I was going through some spiritual attacks. My family were going through some spiritual attacks and we were sitting on the couch and uh, I was just crying my heart out and he just said, oh, we're just going to pray. And he just pressed into prayer, prayed in tongues over me. He broke spiritual curses over my life and just um, he fought for me in the spirit. And I, was, and I just in that moment knew that I wanted to marry him that I wanted to be with someone like that, someone that would fight for me and fight for our faith um, and that he was the man that, you know, that I loved and that I wanted to be with forever. So that was my call into marriage. Jenny's story is much better than mine. Um, uh, I was just pretty and you were like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, look, yes. I think I think it is there's always two things in a story. One is how do we wish the story had gone and, and how and then the other one's how the story actually went. So there, there probably was an element of that. And I just you know, part of what we speak out now is like, oh, if we could go back and think through some of our, our process a bit more. But in terms of specifically um, this, how did I know that I wanted to marry Jen? I mean it be, it begins and ends with are we on the same page, aligned, going together towards Jesus? And is she somebody who the affection of my heart is for? But in that order, right? Jesus first, the affection of my heart second. And then I was talking about the interns with this on Friday. There's, there's a few other things, you know, like is this somebody who I think is an emotionally stable human being, you know? And that was a, you know, a C plus. But the... Um, <laughs> the <laughs> And then, is, and then is there somebody? Now. <laughs> yes, right. Look again. There's the pre-marriage story, and then the marriage story. Um, and then, um, and then is there somebody who who is an adult, like properly, like has their life together? And, and Jenny was way ahead of me with that one. So th- those are some practical things. But to me, really, the question was like, is are we aligned together, going towards Jesus? Do I? Does she have the affection of my heart? Do I love her? And then what is God saying about it? So for Absolutely. me, at the end, when I came to that point where I was like. I think I want to marry this girl. I prayed and I reached out to my closest two friends who were both passionate Christians. And I said, pray for me and speak into my life in this. And I asked their advice and that wasn't easy. I was prepared for whatever they said, Mm -hmm. but I, I just wanted the will of God in this. Yeah. Absolutely. And I did the same thing. I prayed and when before we got engaged and just saw a vision of what our future was, you need to hear from God. You need to, this is a person, man or woman, that you're going to be with the rest of your life. That's a really long time, even with someone who loves Jesus yeah. and is awesome most of the time. Um, and, so and not just by yourself. God. And not Absolutely. just by yourself. Get yeah. people you trust yes. to hear from God for you. Okay? That's the ecosystem of the church around And actually listen to them. If they say something that you don't like, that they say, actually, I don't think he's right for you or she's right for you, listen to them. Yeah. Well, don't just fob it off because you'll regret that in five years' time. You will. We've had quite a few um, texts come in and messages over the week about what's something you wish you knew before you got married or before you got engaged um, and what is the best advice that you could give someone in that period of before engaged period? Other than praying together and praying with others. Yeah. In, in terms of what I wish I knew... I, sus- I suspect, like, I hear that and instinctively I think, oh, what do I wish I knew about Jen? But really what I wish I knew was more about me. Like, I wish I knew my own insecurities uh, before we got married. I wish I knew – I thought my emotional stability was like an A plus and it was more like a C minus, you know. Like, I wish 
I wish I knew the depths of my own heart a little more and I allow, allowed God to do more spiritual work on it. That's not to say I didn't do that. I did. Um, but I, I wish I'd done more. I wish I'd spent more time on that. Mm. I wish you knew how to clean the bathroom. Um, but <laughs> I'm joking. No. Why, um, why would I clean it? it? It looks pretty clean most of the time. It's just magic. It just happens. The what? Fairies. Um, no, I wish... Um, I don't even know what the question was. I just, I wish what do you I... wish you knew before we got married? And also, what some important conversations that you should have during that time period? Mm. Um, yeah, look, I wish I knew, um, again, more about myself, like Mike said. Um, I wish I'd actually taken more time to um, get myself right with God. And I did take a bit of time, but um, I wish I'd taken more time with that. Um, I think the conversations you need to have is where are you going? Um, you want to be aligned with God. So say one of you feels called to overseas mission and one of you is like, actually, I feel called to be a local church pastor here in Adelaide. Like, there's a big, that, that's, that's big. And it's not saying you can't work through that, but you need to have yes. those conversations and you need to pray through that and go, God, what are you actually saying for our marriage? You need to open scripture and say, what does the scripture say about our marriage? What does the scripture say about um, where we should be going and, you know, and what we should be doing? So I think a lot of the time we put a lot of pressure on, uh, like, maybe good advice but we need to go back to the scriptures. You know, good advice is wonderful, but I can give you secular advice about how to be nice to each other and how to have conversations about your past and stuff like that, and that's important. But what does God say about marriage? What does God say about your future and what he's calling you to? Yeah, here's what God says. He says anything that's in the darkness will come to the light. Yeah. That's what Jesus says. So the skeletons that are in your past need to come out before you get married. You need to be honest about them. Yeah. You need to give the person that you are dating or, or even engaged to because it's much less embarrassing to break off an engagement than it is to try and, and, and fix things up after a divorce, okay? So if you get to that point, you need to give them the opportunity to say, this is too much for me. Yeah. Hopefully they won't. Hopefully as a, they'll be a follower of Jesus. They're aligned with you. They're pressing towards that. They'll go, we're going in the same direction. I'm, I'm all for it. I'm for the redemption story. But you've got to take those skeletons out because at some point they're going to come out. Or if they don't come out, it's because you've repressed them and emotionally something is going on in you that is being affected because of that. So you've got to get the skeletons out. Look, the family of origin stuff, I said before, if there's addictions in your family's past or in your own life, you've got to bring them out and be seen and be healed. Pray for healing over that in Jesus' name. Um, and the other one, the big one, and we've touched on this a thousand times, is just will this person follow the call of God? Because if, if Jenny said, I feel called to overseas mission all my life, and I said, I feel called to being a local pastor in Adelaide all my life, but together we said, we will do anything God tells us to. Yeah. That is what you submit yourself to. Jenny was dumb enough to pray before she got married, like, God, I'm not going to marry a pastor. And I didn't. I married a salesman. Who God then called to be a pastor. <laughs> so if you align your life with Jesus, it, it comes out. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. I said, I said I'd say yes to Jesus no matter what. That's it. And that's all that matters when it comes down to it. Are you willing as a couple to say yes to Jesus, whatever that and, means? And, and the second part of that, like the great commandment, is to love one another, right? So I just want to clarify. You can't just say yes to Jesus and then psh, off you go. Like That's together loving one another in that double helix that I was talking about. Yeah. So good. Um, Matt Flan a couple of weeks ago when he was preaching said, I on my first date with my now wife, I said, I will choose God over you and I love God more than you. Um, and he said he was pretty scared about that, but it, it stuck. It worked. And she said, yep, I'm in. I love God more Absolutely. than I love you. So, so good. And that is so what you good. want, isn't it? Like you want to be married to someone who says, actually, yeah, I love God more than I love you. They breed them strong in Mount Gambia. That's good. Love you, Maddie. Yes. <laughs> okay. I have a message um, kind of on that. Um, 
what are the biblical and practical distinctives of a Christian marriage over a secular marriage? So what's biblical versus what's cultural? Um, do we pick up things from do we pick up things from culture that we think are biblical just because they're cultural? Yeah, so there's a lot in there. Yeah. I mean, yes is the answer. Yeah. We pick up all sorts of things. So the whole the, the thing I talked about before about taking a season off serving. That's a cultural thing where uh, it begins with our wedding being the centrepiece of our relationship, not our marriage, but our wedding. And then it goes on into, and now the next period is all about you two. No, it's not. Your wedding is about Jesus. Your dating period is about Jesus. Your marriage is about Jesus. It's none of it's about you. We are not the heroes of our own story. And so that's a a secular narrative that has made its way into the church. Um, Trying to think, what are some other... Well, that's not exactly the question, is it? Let me let me see. I had that question here too. Um, oh, biblical and practical distinctives. The number one biblical distinctive is what I just said: that your marriage is about Jesus, not about each other. Yeah. That's that's and that, you what think it's going to be. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. But that's actually really hard to do. It's massive. It is. Yeah. Absolutely. It means all your decisions go through the rubric, through the lens of what is God saying about this, not what do I want, or even what does Jen want. Like, there's plenty of secular marriages that. Uh, a lot of them thrive because God has grace for us all, right? Like, but uh, some of them thrive because one partner just demolishes themselves and says, I, I just want to make the other person happy. Now, if we did that in our marriage, and we could have, both of us would be so narcissistic. It's not funny. Yeah. So as it is, we're only like a little bit narcissistic. So that's good. <laughs> we definitely are. But that's a whole other thing. I don't actually know what that word means, but anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I've got anything else to add to that one, except um, uh, you raise your children in the household of Christ. That's, yeah. that's it. You yeah. you are you are part of a local church, uh, which is a community that speaks in. Uh, your family unit is able to be spoken into by other people. That is, you don't say, "I'm parenting my children my way, and nobody can tell me I'm doing it wrong." Because guess what? We're all doing it wrong. We're all muddling through, trying our best. Oh, I'm, I'm in. Jenny and I are in this marriage. Don't tell us what to do. Like, no, yes, you need to have some people around you to tell you when you're being an idiot. I do it with my friends, like my closest friends. There are a couple of people I speak directly into their lives, and they speak directly into mine. And I just say, you need a, you need to back off here, or you need to treat your wife better, or whatever the case is. Um, there's a billion more things we could do. Talk about there, but yeah, does that cover enough? All right. Um, as broken people, we mess up. When couples argue or wound each other terribly, what's the next step to reconcile and rebuild together to become, become stronger and reflect Christ through forgiveness and unconditional love? That's a good one. Um, look, I mean, <clears throat> we all hurt each other at times. We don't mean to, hopefully. Um, but the first question I'd have and I'd ask is if you're terribly wounding each other, how are you going with God? Where are you at in your faith? So let's not go back to what they've done to you or what, even what you've said, but what is going on in your heart? What's going on with you and God? Because I would say that for me, that when I've, I've been um, not so nice to Mike or um, rubbish to my kids and things like that, it's usually because I'm not going well with God. Like I haven't been spending quiet time with him. I haven't been listening to his voice. I haven't been inviting his peace and presence into my life. And so that's where a lot of that anger and pelt up frustrations and all that kind of stuff comes out because when we have a good relationship with God, we forgive each other, right? When we have a good relationship with God, we understand that that person is broken and fallen and, and needs our prayers and our love and our help to grow and be more like Christ. So that would be my first point. 
Yeah. Repentance comes before forgiveness. Yeah. That's that's one part of what Jen's saying there, which is that we've got to repent of what's going on in our own hearts, of the wounding we have caused. You know, it's, it's the classic it takes two to tango. There, there are very, very few cases when somebody is totally innocent. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're, they, they exist, but they're very, very rare. And in the context of marriage, because we often give each other a thousand tiny paper cuts rather than one big wound, um, that's the stuff that we need to begin to repent of before we can move forward in a forgiveness and a healing. And then you need to have those awkward conversations we were talking about. You need to say about. sorry. You and to... you need to probably seek mediation. So if it's been a very bad one as well, like go get a counsellor. Yeah. We advocate for really good Christian counsellors, yep. marriage counsellors. Go and see them. Yeah, we'll you know see what? a go Christian counsellor. before you get in a relationship. Work on yourself and then go and see them after when you're in a relationship and then when you get married. See, Do get all in, of that. Get in the relationship Find... gym. Do yeah. some working out with some, uh, with some like couples counselling stuff. That's going to be one of your stuff. new taglines, isn't it? Right. Yeah. I, I can't think of a second half. It needs a second half. Though. And I think the last thing is take divorce off the table. So for yes. us, when we do marriage counselling with anyone, we will tell you straight out, take divorce off the table. That is not an option. So good. So we would, God is a God of restorer, restoring, restoration. Yeah. He's a God of restoration. And we believe that. And if we believe that, then we believe he can restore relationships. So take that off the table and say, do you know what? We're going to work through this. It doesn't mean you're going to live if someone's abusing you or anything like that and live, just put up with it. No, we're talking about working through this with trained counselors and people that can help you and believing for healing and reconciliation and for the best. Yeah, I can tell you 14 years in, I am more happy now with my marriage than I've ever been. And we are—we have been through some really terrible times to the point where I was like, I would like to leave you. Like it just got to that point at one point in our marriage, unfortunately. And But because divorce was off the table, that wasn't an option. But working through it was an option. So we will not say we're going to get divorced. It's just its out of our vocabulary. We will say I am done, I'm angry, I'm frustrated, I'm upset, all that stuff. I'm going to go to a counsellor, I'm going to work through this, we're going to, you know, take some time to actually work through this properly, things like that. But divorce, it's off the table. So that's us. What do you do if you come from a broken home and you've, you've had that modelled for you? How, do you? how do you recover from that? What's the best ways to move forward from that? Yeah, that, that is a very, very good, honest question. Um, so couple of answers there the first is look look for people who can model for you what you want so look for this is where the church comes into it again you look around in the church and you go what's a marriage that i actually aspire to ask yourself why right don't put them up on a pedestal and assume everything's perfect because it's not but ask yourself why do i aspire to be married like this person is married and start having conversations with them just let them know like geez a lot of life would be better with a few more awkward conversations like that um, you know, ask them what works in their marriage. Ask them what they should, you should and shouldn't do. Um, and don't let your past define your future, right? Yeah. Fear will wreck you. You will yeah. carry it into a relationship. It will sit like a vulture on your shoulder, threatening to peck out the eyes of the happiness of your future. Yeah. You've got to hold that at bay. You've got to put it to death. That is a spiritual action, putting fear to death and picking up your cross and saying, God has this. He's a God of resurrection. I'm dying to myself. I'm dying to my, my, my parents' mistakes. But God, the God of resurrection, is doing a new thing in me. Mm. You want to add anything else there? Um, I mean, again, work through that stuff with a counsellor. Um, we had two couples as we were young, married, who we just looked up to and we asked them how they do it, what do they do that helps their marriage. Um, it's where we got the whole date 
you know, put aside a date night once a week, once a fortnight and, and spend that together, whether it's a home, um, playing a board game, having a nice meal together, you know, eat after the kids go to bed or something like that if you've got kids. Um, but it's where we got that kind of stuff from because we asked those questions. What do you do to make a healthy marriage? Yeah. Uh, good question that's come in. Why does the church worship marriage over sex? What is that um, and put a higher value on marriage than sex? It's because marriage is more important than sex, for starters. Like, if anything, the church has placed the value of marriage too low yep. and the value, and uh, we actually need to raise it. In that, going back to the question we had before about what are some biblical distinctives about Christian marriage, well, one of them is that it doesn't end. Christian marriage stays together. It's a covenant. Well, it's a covenant. It's a promise. It's actually a lifelong journey of two people together. Sex isn't that. Now, sex can is is amazing within the covenant of marriage, but outside it can become transactional. You know, every statistic you can possibly read shows you that the more partners you go through, the more sexual partners you have, the more the less likely you are to have a healthy, long-lasting relationship. It's just that's just stats. So, and so that's what did you, you say last night? Any any idiot can have sex, but it take it takes it takes a, skill to be it married. Takes skill to be married. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, seriously. Yeah, any idiot can have sex. It takes skill and patience to be married. Um, so sex is designed to be incorporated into marriage. You know, all that intimacy I was talking about before, it's not just physical. And that's when you make sex transactional, that's when you really lower the value of it. Like the, the, the kind of Tinder culture of sex has dropped the value of it so much that it's just like, all right, I'm going to get Uber Eats. All right, I'm going to get Tinder. Like, people look at it the same way. And when you do that, I know that you might think that's an extreme, but actually that starts to permeate the way of our thinking of going, yeah. oh, it's just sex, it's just casual. You've watched too many movies. It's not just casual. No, it's, it's emotional. And it's, it's spiritual. spiritual. There are spiritual ties that totally. come with sex. And they are hard to break. They take time and they take uh, a lot of prayer and a lot of um, pressing into what God's doing in your life. Like, it's, it's, it's not something that you want to... Just easily throw away. Casual sex doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. So marriage is honoured by the church primarily because it is the picture that Jesus has used and that God throughout human history has used to describe the way that the kingdom of God looks. It's the relationship between the church and Jesus. And so that's – and then as we get married and we live in that, we get to serve one another, you know, all the things I just preached about. Um, it becomes this picture – of, of the kingdom of God, of where we're going. And so it's something that, you know, God created, Christ blessed, and then both of them pointed to and said, you need to consider what marriage means for your relationship with God. The concept of marriage is at the heart of everything. So that's why. It's a very good question, though. And I know I probably came at that a bit too harsh, but it's a very, very good question because um, the one thing we do in the church that is not good that we need to reconsider is the way that we have made marriage the goal. Like you get to your marriage and then you've won young person. Hey, you're a young adult. You found that person and you're in, you're in your marriage. I spoke to somebody not that long ago, not in our church, I promise who, who they were just talking about like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got married not that long ago. And I'm just kind of thinking now what? Like I've, I've hit all the major milestones in life except kids. What now? What am I looking forward to? And it wasn't meant to be a, a, a negative question. It was just a bit existential in that sense of, oh, I've treated this as the goal. It was actually 
marriage is is the mechanism towards the goal, which is holiness, stirring and pushing one another towards holiness, towards the knowledge and presence of God in our lives, and to see the kingdom of God break in, and for the marriage, the new household, the new creation, to be a picture of the kingdom of God, shining like a beacon to people to go, wow, I want what that is. But it's not just a wedding. It's not even just being married, it's actually this lifelong journey together. If I think on that holiness thing, if you are married and you're here watching with us today, um, part of your job as uh, now that you are married is to encourage each other to be more holy and more totally. like Jesus. Totally. So like, you know, if, Mike says, if Mike says to me, I, I want to watch a movie, you know, or I say I want to watch a movie with you and he says you haven't done your quiet time yet, go and do that first. Because, you know, it's my relationship with God matters because our relationship is only healthy and only good when my relationship with God is healthy and good. And so if you're married, why don't you think about that? Are you really helping your spouse uh, become more like Jesus? Are you helping them become more holy? Are you putting things in place to help that? Um, you know, and, and other way around, are you both helping each other? Yeah, Beth Moore puts it this way. She says, you need to start becoming the person that you make fun of for being too serious about their faith. You actually need to start being that person, and particularly in the context of marriage. When we talk about mutual submission and laying our lives down for one another, primarily what we are doing is laying our lives down so that our spouse can become more like Jesus, can experience the fullness of life that comes in Christ. That's good. You're the best. So good. Okay. Uh, Last one, I reckon? Yeah, last question. Do you, okay, sorry, I need to choose wisely. Oh, do, you wanna, wisely do you want to choose a little one and then we can okay. choose a big one? Last? I don't know. No, just yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, there's yeah, been lots of. I've, okay, I've got, I've got two. The last okay. one will be a very quick answer. It'll be funny. Um, this one. What is the best? There's been heaps of gold nuggets of sage advice throughout this whole Q&A. What is the best advice you've been given or the best advice you would give to any married couple? Okay. Uh, couples that pray together, stay together. Pray together. Pray for each other and with each other. All the time, all the time. I cannot stress how important that is. When I'm having a bad day, Mike will reach over and pray for me. When he's having a bad day, I'll do the same. And then when we're having good days, we'll we'll pray together. Um, You know, I think there is so, so much power in prayer. And we are not praying over our marriages. We're whinging to people so often, but we're not willing to spend that time that we whinge praying over our marriage. We're saying our husband does this or our husband does that, but yet I won't pray that my husband learns not to do that or, or I won't pray that I learn how to be more patient. We just tend to, and I think that's if anything in life, isn't it? That, you know, and I'll be talking a little about this this week is that, you know, stop whinging about it, pray about it. And the same goes in your marriage. And that's the best advice I can give anybody Couples that pray together, stay together. The, the best advice I can give is take divorce off the table. Um, but I think after that, uh, and we've talked about dating each other throughout your marriage as well. That's really, really important. That's about renewing romance. Um, the other thing I would say is, is don't try and steal from God what he wants to give you as a gift. Yeah. Don't try and steal from God what he wants to give you as a gift, right? So... The other thing I see happening with with young Christian couples is they resolve not to have sex before marriage, which is great. That's the will of God for your life, absolutely. However, they they treat it as it's just sex. And I don't mean just that they, they physically go up to the line of sex, although plenty of Christian couples do that. Don't do that, 
right? Set the line way further back than that. But it's also not just about the physical stuff. It's about the emotional stuff. It's about, am I relying on this person who I'm dating? I'm not engaged. I'm married to them. Am I relying on them as my sole source of spiritual strength or, or personal encouragement? When you do that, you are trying to steal an intimacy that God wants you to build slowly in marriage. You're trying to steal that from God. The Christian couples don't go away together if you're not married. Don't do it. Right? And young adults in Encounter Church, hold each other accountable for this. Right? If you go away in a group of eight or ten, more power to you. But guys sleep together in a guy's room. Girls sleep together in a girl's room. Keep it separate. Be wise about this. Because everyone goes, no, 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 we're not going to do that. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. Or at the very least, you'll cross a boundary you don't want to. But the, the best advice is about take divorce off the table. And you know what Jenny said about prayer I cannot emphasize enough how important that is to pray for each other. Um, my right, life is has been changed because of the intercession Jenny has done for me and with me. Make your marriage about God. I really center it on it. Don't just say that, really center it. Yeah, I can see the difference. I can see the difference in married couples that have their life centered around Jesus. I won't name them, but I can. I can see it. Like, She's got they, a list. Yeah. Got a mentalist. I've always got a mentalist of everything, Petty, you know that. Um, it's but terrifying. I, but you, you can, right? You can see the difference in people who centre their lives around God and those that don't. It's the way in which they treat each other. It's the way in which they treat um, God. It's the way in which they treat the church. You can, you can see it even before we get to marriage counselling. Okay, last question before we wrap up. There was only one sex question asked, and it was sent in by my husband. We, uh, we how had often sex last should, week. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not we. No, <laughs> that came out wrong. I mean, we did. Well, on that, stop, how many times should you be having sex as a married couple? Boom. Please. Boom. Boom. Oh, my gosh. I was like, if he does any of that, I'm out. That's why I said didn't I? I was like, not divorcing him, but I'm so, out with this. Yeah, less okay, than how once many a week. Times? Okay, no. Uh, no, whatever's. What, what, I feel what like there's going to be different answers okay, here. Yeah, there, I mean, there is an We don't answer. have time for someone to leave the room and come back. Is, but like, I, I, w- I would suggest that the healthiest answer is twice a week. Men will generally want it more than that. Women will generally want it less than that. You need to have a conversation about what is appropriate and helpful and healthy. But you you want to look at about twice a week because. It, it, there's a point to which if you're not being intimate extensively, and obviously there are there are mental, physical situations, there are there are reasons why you can't be intimate for a time. But you know, Paul talks about it, he's like, listen, if you're married, basically like keep having sex. Don't don't abstain unless there's a specific time period you're setting aside, it's like a fasting. But one person doesn't get to choose that by themselves. Yeah. You don't get to go, oh, I'm fasting from sex for two months, Sonny. Sorry. I, I mean, let's face it. It's, it's more likely to be the other way around in that conversation. But, you know, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be saying twice a week is a, is a good marker. It's not, that's not above the average. That's just a good marker. Yeah, I would say as, as much as you can, I reckon. Like, you know, if you enjoy it. Come like, on. Hopefully enjoy it. Like, as think- much as you can. Yeah, Pastor and Jenny Water, right? Yeah. <laughs> Tom and Mike are celebrating. That's my new cultural value. But I, okay, can I just say something though? How much? I think do you we, just did. Okay, no. So I said a lot of things. I'm gonna say one more thing. Wives, how about we put as much energy into our physical side of our marriage as we do to keeping our house nice and pretty? Like in all seriousness, like how much time and effort? And we come to the bedroom and we're tired. 
right? And then and as women, I'm sorry, men, but if we're tired, it's done. Yeah. Like, it's over. It's not happening. Um, so keep some energy. You want to make your marriage work and you want to have good intimacy, take time for that. Do, like, do what makes you feel good and be ready for that. I mean, that we know that as women. So for me, Mike knows that when he does the dishes yeah. and help the cleans, it's in all seriousness, yeah. so you do, that's part of me. Gentlemen, um, sex begins in the, in the kitchen, right? It begins with doing the dishes. It begins with like that's cleaning up after dinner. It be, uh, yeah, yeah, true. But I think leaving the kitchen dirty is probably never going to help anyone. Um, I, I think you actually need to work out what your wife's love language is. For most men, if you ask them what their love language is, go look up love languages, Google it after this if you've never looked at it. It's very important. For most men, physical touch is one of the most important love languages for them. It's usually one of the top two, right? It might not be, that's fine. But for most men, it is. But if you want your wife, for most women, it is not. Particularly if your wife has kids, especially young kids. Yeah. Like people's sex lives, it's tough when you've got really young kids. Like you've got babies oh. crawling over yeah. you and vomiting on you and stuff all the time. Like, please don't touch me. You don't need that. <laughs> <laughs> you, don't need, yeah. you don't need that. You don't, you don't, don't want to be touched. In fact, you yeah. just want to breather for a minute. So, guys, you are going to have to work hard. You're going to have to learn their love language and serve them. That's what a mutual submission means. Yeah. You've got to discover someone's love language and serve them in that way, in a way that shows love poured out on behalf of, of, of not because you want to get somewhere. Because at the end of it, if they still say, sorry, mate, you're not getting any tonight, that's, that's how it is. Don't do it for that. Do it because you love them and you want to honour them and bring them closer to Jesus. Like, do, that's the reason. And I think one of the things is when you've got little kids, just remember that it is a season. One of the things we see really unfortunately is a lot of people um, and a lot of friends of ours unfortunately breaking up um, when their kids are around four and five because they've just had such a run of tiredness and exhaustion. You haven't so dated, close. you barely um, talk to each other, you kind of live together but you're not actually married and that's a big, a big issue. Can I just say, if you are going through that, Keep loving each other well. Keep going. You will get through it. When they start going to school, yeah. the whole world changes. Yeah. It really does. It's yeah. a totally different world. My, my youngest is now in year one, and um, the difference in our marriage is is huge, isn't it? Huge. Like, yeah. absolutely. Even having two kids at school made a massive difference. So please work through it. You're in the If you're at that stage, you're really at the hardest stage of marriage when you've got little kids. I actually think it is the hardest stage of marriage. I mean, I haven't been through. Well, I've been so through, far. Yeah. So far, yeah. We're 14 years in, so we're not, you know, there's plenty of you that have been there, doing this longer and we admire you and we look up to you as well. But, yeah, just keep going. Don't give up. Yeah. I think that's really good advice. So good. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you for all of that wisdom and the, and the laughs. Um, appreciate you guys and love doing ma marriage counselling with you too. <laughs> we loved doing before. marriage counselling with you guys. Was <laughs> we did. It was highly very entertaining. fun. <laughs> um, look, I just, I just want to finish this off briefly by just um, – stating something that might be really obvious, which is for a lot of you, you may come from backgrounds where the example you've seen in marriage is the opposite of what we've talked about today. It hasn't been about God honouring. In fact, it's been a hot mess. And for some of those people, fear sits on your shoulder and you just think, like, what's the point? I don't even know I can do this. I, I, I don't think I have hope in this. The beauty of it is, is that your hope is not in your marriage, whether it's present or future, it's in Jesus. Your hope is in Jesus, which means that the hope of your marriage is also in Jesus. 
And what you want to do is day by day, moment by moment, realign your heart with Jesus. Have those awkward conversations with your spouse. Bring them closer to God. If they're not in a position right now, if you're already married, um, you need to pray for your spouse. If, if it's somebody who doesn't yet know Jesus, pray for them yeah. from a distance. Intercede for them. God is honoring that, blessing that. Yeah. We've seen incredible stuff happen through that. If you are married to somebody who's a believer, pray with them. That's awkward. When you're praying with someone out loud for the first time, it's really, really awkward. So keep doing it. Practice it. Practice it. Practice makes perfect. So I just want to encourage you again. Your marriage can be a picture, a foretaste of heaven. Absolutely. If you centered around the will of God and it becomes all about seeing your spouse become more like Jesus and you become more like Jesus. That's the goal of marriage. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.